Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Very glad that you could join me today. And I think you're going to be glad that you joined me today because here with me now is one of my very favorite returning guests. It's Thor Nystrom, the lead college football and NFL draft analyst for NBC Sports Edge. And Jesus, Thor, I'm still having a hard time with NBC Sports Edge. I know you have to keep calling it uh, that, but am I allowed to call it Roto World, or uh, is NBC going to take legal action against me if I do that? (laughs) I hope they don't, because I I slip sometimes as well, too. Um, I'm still getting used to it, for sure. I mean, like, you know, I've worked there for, man, I'm going to age myself, but I've worked there for like 12 years at this point, so... I've introduced myself as as a Roto World employee for a long time, so yeah, it's it's definitely been been different. So no, I I, I won't begrudge you if you slip up. <laughs> well, at any rate, welcome back, Thor. Great to have you here again. Uh, to everyone listening, if you care at all about the NFL draft and NFL prospect analysis, and if you're listening to this football nerd fest of a show, I know that you do care then go follow Thor on Twitter if you aren't already. Find him at Thorku, that's T-H-O-R-K-U, because Thor, uh, that's actually Thor K-U, right? Uh, Because Thor is in the process of cranking out his NFL draft uh, prospect preview series where he takes an in-depth look at the top prospects at every position. Uh, And let me tell you, folks, these articles are just manna from the football heavens. Thor is a hell of a writer. He can really turn a phrase, and his player write-ups turn prospect analysis into high art. And uh, for those of you short attention span types who are intimidated by long articles, don't worry, there's a lot of eye candy in there too, namely some relevant highlights for each player. Trust me, visit NBC Sports Edge. There, I said it, Thor. Uh, And check out Thor Nystrom's prospect series. All right, my friend, let's get into it, and let's start with the quarterbacks since you started with them in your prospect preview series. In the last week or so, you really caped up for Justin Fields of Ohio State. Some people have questioned his processing ability, his field reading, uh, including film guru Greg Cosell. And you've sort of taken issue with that. So you think the whole field reading processing criticism is overblown? I do. Yeah, I I think it's it's overblown. And I think it's an outright exaggeration. Um, I, I do think there's something to it, of course. I mean, you could even see it in the numbers. Um, he holds onto the ball a little bit longer than, than some of the other guys. And I even included one of the uh, troubling stats that I saw, you know, vis-a-vis that, which is that he, he holds onto the ball longer against the blitz than he does um, when he's not blitzed, uh, which is kind of interesting. 
Um, however, I, I just think there's a lot of contextual um, reasons that explain the excess number of sacks uh, that he took, uh, in particular this past season. Um, I also think um, there's reasons to um, sort of hold back on the criticism of um, his meticulousness in the pocket and going through uh, his progressions um, and realize that um, it's a criticism that's dovetailing off of one of his strengths. Right. Like a lot of uh, dual threats that we've seen in the past have been guys that have been, you know, bailed out of the pocket. They've been guys who are athletes first, et cetera. Um, Justin Fields is the opposite of that. Um, he is I mean, he goes through all of his progressions. He will sit back in the pocket, even though he has um, just golden legs. I mean, you know, immediately in the NFL, he could be one of the NFL's best scramblers. He could be in the top three, you know, right from the jump. Um, he wants to go through all of his progressions. And again, he holds the ball longer than, than some of these other guys. I, For me, it's a thing where you have minor tweaks to his game. Um, a really, really, really good player is going to elevate into an all-pro player. That's the way that I see it. Because I see a guy who has a right arm from God, who he has every bit the arm strength that Zach Wilson does. Um, you can see this on tape. You can see this in their longest throw. I, I think both of them, their longest throw, uh, PFF, I think that they they were the same distance. I think it was 65 yards on a line. Um, and, you know, in terms of accuracy, uh, Justin Fields is insane. And then, of course, you know, just in terms of dual threat, the dual threat ability, the athleticism with that frame is insane, too. So, I, you know, I think all of these uh, disparate, uh, you know, abilities that he has, which are all just elite, they're not um, – the one thing I would agree with is perhaps at this point they're not working in concert with each other in a way that they ultimately could. Um, I, I guess perhaps where I'm disagreeing with some other people is – um, you know, I'm saying like Justin Fields had, you know, 615 or 25 pass attempts in college, you know, in part because he had to sit as a freshman behind Fromm, and then in part because of Ohio State circumstances as, um, you know, like, in, you know, as in, in his last season uh, where they only played eight games, um, you know, so like, you know, he, he has less, uh, you know, uh, experience in the pocket than certainly Trevor Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson, et cetera. So I, I think he's going to get a lot better um, in, in, in terms of that stuff. And I, I think he's going to learn to read the field better and, and, and know when it's the right time to, you know, bail out of the pocket and become a runner. And then also, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning this in my column, but not just that, but um, you know, right now, um, you know, he, he sort of has this tendency where if he does decide to run, um, he, he sort of, you know, has his head down and then he's, he just, he just is the runner, um, where, you know, I, I think he could do a better job of, um, you know, being a runner and a passer at the same, you know, again, melding the two, um, retaining the accuracy on, on the run. I, I just don't think he sees, um, those things together in a way that, you know, for instance, Kyler Murray does where he, he uses his legs to help his arm. Um, and I think when Justin Fields gets gets to that point, um, I think he's going to take off even more as a player. I think you're going to see a guy who who goes takes developmental leaps forward. Um, so I'm really bullish about him as a prospect. Yeah, it's interesting that that criticism is leveled at him. And I think you wrote in that piece that it's almost like he's aware of it sometimes and kind of stands in when he shouldn't stand in when he when he should take off with those gazelle like running skills and. Um, you know, like certainly we can't question the toughness at all. Like you said, he stands in against the blitz actually longer than he does when uh, he's not being blitzed. That hit he took at the uh, end of the first half against Clemson where 
you know, a lot of people thought he might have ruptured his spleen on the hit, comes back and continues to just eviscerate Clemson in the second half. Um, so, yeah, he's exciting. I, I completely agree that he's number two. Um, so, yeah, Fields is not your number one. That would be Trevor Lawrence. And you wrote that he is, and I quote, the best overall draft prospect I've evaluated since I started doing this five years ago. Uh, I know there's a lot to love here, but what are a few of the things that jump out to you about Lawrence? Well, it's, you know, I think like, um, you know, sometimes uh, I, I've seen written about Lawrence that like he's a, a pocket passer. And I think what maybe people that haven't watched Lawrence as much the past couple of years don't watch as much college football. Um, what's going to be surprising to them is Lawrence isn't just a prodigy in the pocket. And he certainly is that, you know, he's, he's six, six, he has 10 inch hands. Um, and you know, like I was writing in the, the thing, he's got the hair like sunshine, uh, you know, from remember the Titans, he got the long blonde locks and everything. So he, he looks like, you know, he's, he's sort of like, you know, like a, a you know, from God, you know, like the, this sort of quarterback. Um, and then he's also, uh, you know, sort of a full bodied long levered type thrower. Like when you think about like, uh, baseball, you know, pitchers that, that can, you know, like Araldis Chapman, you know, dialing it up over a hundred, he's a full body, long levered thrower. Like that's what Lawrence is at six, six, like Lawrence was the best downfield thrower over his career of any passer. We've, you know, certainly that I've, I've seen, you know, again, while I've, I've been doing this, like just absolutely deadly, like him and T Higgins just destroyed people. Um, and so like, you know, you have that, um, you have, really, really good accuracy, really, really, really good accuracy. Um, he has really good pocket awareness as well. Um, you look at his, his numbers against pressure. Um, he was, um, uh, he's in the top three of PFFs numbers over their career. Um, and the two guys next to him are, are Baker Mayfield and, and Joe Burrow, who happened to, to also be number one, one picks. Um, but the, but the other thing, again, the thing that's going to surprise people. So you have all of that, of course. Um, but he's also a, like a ridiculously good athlete. Like, like a shockingly good one. Like, it's not just like, you know, like snicker, snicker for a white guy, good athlete. Like he's really fast. Like, like, you know, if, if you, you know, for instance, you're watching Travis ETN tape, like he's catching up to ETN downfield, you know, like, um, you know, throwing blocks, like stuff like that. Like your article had that highlight where ATN has this long run and, uh, you know, he's kind of like top of screen making this long run. And Lawrence like catches him and kind of overtakes him during this run. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And yeah, like the pocket passer thing, man, I don't know where that comes from. Like yeah, this guy is the, not afraid to take off. The, the, the thing I liked about that clip to illustrate that was it illustrated two things, which is number one, the ridiculous athleticism. Cause again, you know, people, you wouldn't expect uh, Lawrence to catch up. To, I mean, ETN and, and the defensive back are going full speed down the field. And like earlier in the play, you saw Lawrence is just sort of hanging out in the backfield after, you know, giving the ball off. Um, and he legitimately catches them. But the other thing about it again is the reason he's down there is he had every intention of throwing a block. That's the reason he's hurtling himself downfield. Um, and you see this on his other tape. I, I make a joke about this too, that the NFL is going to, um, you know, levy a cease and desist order against this, but like he'll drop his shoulder. He'll throw his body, you know, in, into a defender in lieu of either sliding or uh, just going out of bounds. Um, the NFL is not going to like that, but um, it's, it's one of those things that, that Lawrence did in college to really endear himself uh, to teammates. Cause like, 
when Lawrence took over as a freshman, people got to understand he took over a really, really good team in like at the end of September in 2018, I guess it was Kelly Bryant was like an established guy there. And I know for NFL fans like, oh, Kelly Bryant, who cares? But like Kelly Bryant has started there for a couple of years. People at Clemson really like Kelly Bryant. He was a popular kid there. They'd won games with Kelly Bryant. And then, you know, Lawrence was, you know, again, he's like sort of this prodigy guy. And then he goes in there and you just expect him to be this one thing, you know, a prodigy as a passer, certainly. But you don't expect the the athleticism, number one, but you also don't expect that toughness because he, you know, again, awesome against pressure, hangs in there, willing to take a hit. And he's also willing to give out hits, which is hilarious. And again, the NFL is going to tell him to stop doing that, but um, it's there. Yeah, let, let's uh, let's talk about Trey Lance, the toolsy prospect from that prolific QB factory, North Dakota State, up in your neck of the woods. Uh, Lance has such a unique profile, and I love the comp that you gave for him, which was Steve McNair, a comp that not only accounts for the immense run-throw potential Lance has, but also the level of college competition since McNair played for Alcorn State. So tell me more about the Trey Lance toolkit. Yeah, that's that's where it's interesting uh, with Lance because in terms of toolkit, he's really got it all. Um, it's he's got a perfect frame. When he went to NDSU, he didn't. He what he had was was the height, um, and he was like this, you know, little skinny beanpole kind of kid um, that was a three star recruit, and he got overlooked by uh, certainly the the Power Five teams in the FBS. Um, I think Boise State might have given him an offer late, um, but the Power Five teams wanted him to switch positions. He was out of Marshall, Minnesota. So the Gophers did not want him as a quarterback, which, um, you know, I, I talk about this because it just infuriates me. You know, I haven't watched Lance um, and haven't watched Tanner Morgan. Um, I, d- don't get me started. Um, but anyway, um, he, you know, what he did was, you know, Lance ends up going to NDSU. And he had a redshirt season in 2018 behind Easton Stick. NDSU won the title that year, but Lance used that that year in one of college football's best weight programs. It's sort of like Alabama South, even though it's in the the FCS at NDSU. And Lance really built up his his frame and you know built up his muscle. And then in his one year as a starter in 2019, he had one, he had one of the great you know one year wonder kind of seasons you're ever going to see. You know, NDSU went undefeated. He had a 28 to zero, zero, hello, zero interceptions, TDI and T ratio. Um, and he ran for, you know, over a thousand yards, like, you know, eight, nine, 10 yards of carry, something like that. Like, um, and, it, you know, it wasn't just that. It, like, it, it, he wasn't lucky in any of these regards. Like, PFF charted him with, with over four turnover worthy plays. And, you know, what I was writing about in my, my scouting stuff was like, what's crazy about that is, his ethos as a player, he, he's not, you know, some sort of check down king. He's a guy that like takes kill shots in the pocket all the time. Like he doesn't like to throw the ball away. You know, he'll he'll extend the play in the backfield and he's always looking to you know throw the ball down the field. He had an extremely uh, long, uh, you know, depth of target average. Um, you know, and, and yards per completion percentage. But the other thing is, is he scrambles a lot as well. You know, like I said, he 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 churned out a lot of yards um, on the ground, and he you know he's an extremely powerful runner, and he's also fast. Um, you know, I mean, le- legitimate speed, and he's you know he's tall, so he's, he's sort you know deceptively so too. He he'll sort of chews up the ground in front of you, um, and so like for that play style, um, you would expect that he would 
uh, put the ball in harm's way more, especially being uh, a first year a starter, um, you know, on a team that was, you know, made this run in the playoffs and, you know, being this super duper raw uh, guy, but he didn't, he, he consistently made really, really good decisions. Um, and then, you know, as far as arm talent, um, you put his arm, the only other guy that has a comparable arm in this class is Lawrence. It's those guys when you're talking about arm strength, you know, like I said before, Wilson and Fields, they're, they're sort of, you know, comparable in, in arm strength. They're sort of right there. Um, Lance has a stronger arm than those two kids. Um, it's, it's, he's right there again with, with Lawrence. Um, and so he has that, he has the ridiculous athleticism. His thing right now, of course, is he's going to have to jump up in competition. Um, but the other thing is, um, he opted out. Well, the whole FCS basically opted out in, in, in 2020 is what happened. Lance played one game in the fall. And then, you know, the rest of the thing was sort of moved to the spring. And so Lance decided to, you know, prepare for the NFL instead of, you know, doing the spring season with, with NDHU. Um, so he only ended up playing one game um, in, in 2020. So he has 17 FCS starts, um, which for a, you know, projected top 10 to 15 pick, that's unprecedented. You you don't have, you know, guys that you project that high that have that that little experience. But um, that's what makes this draft in particular uh, really fun. Um, I, I like my job always um, doing this. I, uh, Pat, you know, it's one reason I like talking to you because I, I know you get really tickled by this stuff, too. But this year in particular, last year was fun, too, because we it got it got disrupted. And so you had to do a little bit more more digging and more homework this year. Uh, it's, it's even more so because the, the last year of tape got disrupted in addition to the draft process getting disrupted. And Lance is a great example of a guy who has sort of an unprecedented profile, but he has just a ridiculously high ceiling. Um, to me, it's only comparable to Lawrence. So you have almost an unprecedented sort of bust and risk profile and, uh, just a super duper high ceiling, um, and it's how do you how do you judge those things? And then as far as the NFL team, because, you know, I'm not going to get fired based on this, uh, you know, based on how he turns out. But as far as the NFL team is, is, you know, how how much gumption do you got? You know, how much do you believe in, in yourself and how much do you believe in your read there? And you made this uh, very good case at the end of your Trey Lance write up that because of his unique background, his limited game experience, the lower level of competition that you could make a pretty good case for something close to a redshirt year, uh, maybe the kind of rookie year that we saw with Patrick Mahomes, where he didn't get his first taste until uh, late December, you know, towards the end of the season. And, um, you know, it's always tough to do that if you're spending a top 15, a top 10 pick on this guy to just kind of eat that rookie year. But um, I agree that that might be prudent in this case. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to agree. I, I, I think so. Um, you know, it's, you know, again, historic, I, you know, I, I can't <clears throat> accentuate this point enough, but it's historically an experience coming in. Um, and it's not just that it's, you know, his last season, he only played one game. So, I mean, you know, that, that's an issue. You, you can't pick Trey Lance and then be like, Oh, we're going to play him week one, unless, you know, you want to sort of think ahead of the curve and, and tank next season and just get him, you know, live reps and hope is, you know, and, and, and hope he comes out of it alive. Um, 
you know, you could do that, I suppose, but, um, it, you know, it wouldn't be a good decision as far as like, um, you know, trying to, you know, win games next season, because the, the issue with him, what, what he does do well, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my throat's a little hoarse. <clears throat> what, what he does do well, again, it's, it's, it's the scrambling thing and, and, and tools and stuff like that, but in conjunction with making really good decisions, um, you know, keeping the ball out of harm's way, but what he needs to work on is his placement. That's, that's sub, um, you know, I mean, it's both sub starter level right now, but that's, I mean, that's, that's probably like QB three level, like where we sit right now, like his, his placement is not very good. Um, and so like he needs to work on that. And like, you know, that, that was a thing like coming out of 2019 going into 2020, like this is like pre COVID world where like, it was like, oh my God, Trey Lance, like he's going to be super interesting. Like, I can't wait to watch him develop in 2020. Like that's going to be must watch TV for me, you know, and it's going to be really cool to see if, you know, he can improve his placement, you know, because he could, you know, I'm not saying that he could, you know, challenge Lawrence, but like, what if he got super accurate, but then he played one game in 2020 and it wasn't even really a thing, you know? And so then it's like, you just have that initial thing and you know, it's, it's like a poof of smoke, you know, and, and we'll look back at this and whatever way it goes, it'll either be like, oh, we were idiots because we didn't see, you know, he's either going to turn into like, you know, have multiple all pros and then anyone that didn't believe in him, it's going to be like, oh, you were an idiot because he had such a high ceiling. How could you not see that? He, he literally didn't throw an interception in his one season, let his team to the title. Or if he busts, it'll be like, how could you have ranked him in the top 10? Like that kid, you know, you bar- he was barely even on the field. He didn't even throw for 3,000 yards in his one season, you know. He was a three-star recruit. You only saw him for one year in the FCS. So either way, it's just again, it's it's historic. It's it's a really interesting case. Yeah, he is a fascinating test case for sure. Uh, so I'm not going to say that you're a hater. Your uh, write up on him was very gimlet-eyed, like looking at the strengths and weaknesses. But you seem a little less than exuberant about BYU Zach Wilson, maybe relative to some other people who kind of fell in love with him this past year. Is part of that that he faced such an easy schedule with BYU in 2020? That yeah, that's a big yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that would be fair to say. I mean that that's what you know leads you along uh, some of these like suppositional paths to lead to your conclusion. Sure, right? Because like so you know some of these other people, you know the, these reports that there's teams that have you know, Wilson number, which I, I, you know, I'm not sure that I, but is that theoretically possible? Sure. But none of the draft boards besides the Jaguars, it matters if, if Wilson's above Lawrence. So, and those teams, if, if they pass phony information to a reporter, it it could only help them this, this chaos theory. So I I thought those reports were, were funny and ludicrous. Um, but anyway, uh, that notwithstanding, um, the the difference between me and someone that like is totally on the Zach Wilson uh, sort of like, you know, top two or three overall kind of, uh, you know, train or whatever is, um, you know, is like this idea of like those people see Zach Wilson as a guy who went in and impressed a BYU as a freshman. And then he got injured as a sophomore. And that was the reason that he struggled as a sophomore. And then as a junior, like he just threw, you know, dimes all over the field, you know, it's just lasers everywhere. And, you know, his NFL throws all the time, et cetera. Whereas, you know, I, I saw the same throws. So that's, you know, that's sort of where we're in agreement and that's where I'm intrigued. You know, he is my uh, fourth quarterback, you know, and I'm, I'm going to end up ranking him in the top, you know, 15, I suppose. So like, I, you know, I'm not, 
out on Zach Wilson. You know, I, I, I like him enough. Um, but the reason that I'm, I'm lower on him uh, than the other guys is, yes, it's going back to uh, the contextual thing, because I think what uh, the other group of, you know, Wilson hypesters aren't or Wilson hipsters, as it were, what, what they're not um, factoring in enough is is that context is, you know, th- they're just forgiving him for uh, the, the down sophomore season as though it didn't happen because of the injuries. Um, and then, you know, as, as far as this season, they just pretend that he was playing legitimate competition, which he most certainly was not. Zach Wilson played the number 89 SP plus schedule strength this past season. And it was actually even worse than that. Um, that's just the counting numbers. But for instance, um, you know, like I, I went ahead and crunched all this. Uh, Zach Wilson played, I think it was, I, I'm going to get some of the numbers wrong. So I don't have them in front of me, but it was like he, out of his, you know, 12 games or whatever, it was like he played six of them were against, uh, it was like top 68 SP plus defenses. Um, three of them were, um, he had his worst game, three graded games of the season, Uh, you know, it was against three of those teams. Then against the three other ones, he had like, you know, really, really good games, uh, objectively good games. Um, but even in one of those, uh, in, in one of those three games was against UCF. Um, they ranked like 65th or 67th. So they barely even qualified in this sample, but UCF in the bowl game, Richie Grant and, uh, Robinson, they both opted out. And so UCF was, they were fielding, you know, the joke of a defense. And anyhow, my whole point with Zach Wilson is, you know, if you want to get more specific, you know, and, and not, you know, like in the generalities is the, the, the way that Zach Wilson likes to play is um, when his game leveled up this past season, because again, people need to understand that he wasn't a supernova quarterback before. He was not a first round quarterback before this. He was arguably not even a day two quarterback before this. So if you're going to say that he's, you know, a top three, you know, overall prospect, you also have to concede that like, you know, that was, that wasn't there before. So we're, we're basing that on, um, you know, this season. And, and so, you know, you really have to factor in what are we looking at this season? And, and what we're looking at this season is they changed offensive schemes to this wide zone scheme where they, they did a bunch of play action off of it. His play action numbers went way up off of it. And his play action um, yards per attempt went way up as well. Um, you know, work, I mean, Dax Milne, a lot of people talk about him and, and his tape, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I, I talk about this in my column, but like the way that, um, and Benjamin Solak um, pointed this out, he had a great column about this. Um, the, the way that Zach Wilson um, operated in that system, um, it's not the way that the NFL um, works off of that concept. In the NFL, you'd never throw it deep um, off of the play action, off the wide zone concept, because the, the two outside corners are the two defenders, you know, on, on the field out of the 11 that, that aren't in any way affected by the fake run. Um, so you, you just, you wouldn't, you know, give up your back to the defense and, and give that sort of beat um, with nothing in return. That's why the NFL uses uh, those concepts and the play action off of it to throw over the middle, you know, for instance, uh, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, et cetera. Um, and so, um, you know, Wilson basically was doing this um, against a procession of absolutely horrible defenses. Um, you know, again, UCF was the third best one that he did really, really good against. And 
they they you know it was like their third string you know defensive backs and they didn't have a good defense to begin with um and so you have to understand that that's who he's doing it against and you have to understand the one way that you could have stopped zach wilson last year is force him to throw over the middle which he didn't want to do he trusts the touch you know he or i'm sorry he trusts the power of his arm way more than the touch of it he doesn't want to be methodical up the field he wants to go that sort of balls to the wall thing and that's why when people give him a pessimistic comp it's to johnny manziel because he's always you know just chucking it up chucking it up um and so in the nfl he's going to have to adapt that's not conjecture that's a fact because the nfl doesn't doesn't do deep play action off of that concept and and that's what zach wilson did a whole bunch of that um so he's going to have to adapt he definitely might be able to um because he certainly has the arm for it um but you know like um you know you know, as as has been Seth Galina was was a guy that noted this. Uh, quarterbacks that come off of career seasons, you know, in systems like that, extremely quarterback friendly systems, um, there's always that concern that what you're seeing is, um, you know, in some ways a mirage. You know that it's not um, what what you're seeing. It's it's not. Um, you know, this ascendance of a, a prospect that's, you know, what you're seeing, like, you know, th- this could be a once in a, a, a generation type prospect, but, um, you know, again, that it could be something of a mirage, like uh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, you know, was, I, I made a joke earlier in this process that some people didn't appreciate where I, I sort of compared the two. Um, and, you know, but Mitch Trubisky was sort of a mirage and he got overdrafted because of that. And I thought the hype train on Mitch Trubisky kind of got out of control. Um, I'm not saying that Zach Wilson's going to bust and I like Zach Wilson. Certainly I like his arm more than Mitch Trubisky's. Um, but, um, I, I, I do think that the narrative's getting a little away from folks because the defense that could have stopped him, it never arrived on the schedule to, to stop Zach Wilson. You had to get pressure on him because his effectiveness is in his accuracy went down by the tape and by the numbers when he had pressure, but he never faced pressure because BYU had a top 10, uh, graded offensive line, um, you know, and in terms of, you know, uh, pressure like Zach Wilson, uh, you know, face like the bottom 10, uh, you know, in, in terms of pressure faced, as, uh, you know, in the quarterback rankings, whatever. Um, and so he just never faced that. And then the other thing is, um, you know, a, a team that would stop you, you would both want to get pressure and then make sure that you could leave some help deep. Because when Zach Wilson had Dax Milne, for instance, deep one on one, you were going to be hurting. Um, but usually in these circumstances, he had all day to throw, um, and then he would throw it up and it'd be one-on-one and Milne, who's going to get taken on, on day three. And, and he, he's probably an underrated prospect. Um, he was usually going up against a guy who has, he's not even going to get an NFL tryout. Um, and so th- those are some of my concerns are those, you know, is, is that good? Is that game going to translate? Um, I'm not sure. Cause he can't even completely play that way. Um, in the NFL, you know, he's going to have to change the way that he plays. He's got the arm for it. Uh, we just haven't seen that yet. So we'll have to see the thing that people love about him and his gamble and all that again, is he's going to have to change it. So that's like, I think that he has a higher, uh, you know, bust sort of potential than other people do. He also has sort of a skinny frame. Um, he's not super duper athletic. He can steal some yards, but like Trubisky was more athletic than he was. Um, so I, you know, I, I do have some concerns there. I, you know, again, I, I will have him in the top 15 because arm, arm talent is arm talent. Right. And like, you don't see, you know, guys with that arm talent, um, you know, you only see a certain amount of them every year. And so, you, you know, in some ways, you know, it's a certain pick, the juice would always be worth the squeeze if you needed a quarterback and you have to account for that when 
you know, you're doing these nebulous rankings such as myself, even if you don't have a, you know, a team or a, you know, whatever behind you. Um, and so for that reason, I will have them in the top 15, but yeah, I, I do have concerns. Sure. But I, I do think it, it's fascinating that you point out the reasons, the specific reasons why he might not make it in the NFL. Like the, the fact that, you know, it's not so much the scheme that, that, you know, the, the wide nine, uh, not wide nine. Sorry. I'm thinking Jim Schwartz defense wide zone. Not so much that, you know, he can't make the jump, uh, from that system, but just that he likes to attack it downfield and that just simply is not going to fly in the NFL. Uh, tell me real quickly, and I don't want to go overboard in the quarterbacks, but I, I know you have some reservations about Mac Jones, who now is being talked about as, you know, a potential top 20 pick. The comp you gave for him was not exactly flattering, Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first, first give us the comp and then just briefly your issues. Yeah, that was kind of disrespectful. Um, I think it was, was it, was it less mobile Andy Dalton? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I forgot the way I worded that, but yeah, that was, uh, that, I'm, I'm so sorry, Mac Jones. Um, but it's true, Mac Jones, don't you forget it. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think it's fair. Um, you know, I guess, I guess first off, you know, like I saw Dalton at, at, at TCU, um, you know, it's Dalton. Dalton didn't have the the good fortune of playing with the the players that, that Mac Jones played with, and I, I've said this on Twitter a few times, and I I've, I wrote this in Mac Jones's uh, uh, write up, or maybe it was Davis Mills. I, I forget, but you know, a fun little thought experiment for people is. Um, Mac Jones was committed to Kentucky for a long time during his recruiting process. And Davis Mills strongly considered Alabama and Davis Mills ended up signing with Stanford and sitting behind KJ Costello for a couple of years. So it wasn't because of early playing time. Um, you know, uh, Davis Mills was a five-star prospect. He was a, a much more ballyhoo prospect than Mac Jones. I, I wonder, you know, if, if, if Davis Mills ultimately had signed with Bama and Mac Jones had, had stayed at Kentucky, I wonder, you know, it, 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 certainly with Mac Jones, what, how would we see him as a, a draft prospect? I, I don't think he would be considered anything close to where he is now. And there are people on Twitter that disagree with me, but I, I, I don't like, I, I don't know what else to say about it. Mac Jones, he doesn't, his physical tools just aren't good, right? Like he's not mobile at all. Um, he had like, you know, you look at his career rushing numbers at Alabama going into the national title game. I think they were like negative. They, they might, he might've even come out of his career with negative rushing. Years. He doesn't want to leave the pocket at all. He doesn't cause he's not very athletic. Um, and then the other thing is his arms, not very good, right? Like it's not, you know, it's not like, um, trace McSorley. It's not a wet noodle. Um, but to get the ball downfield, um, you know, 50 yards, he's got to put air under it. He's, he's really got to feather that thing out. It's not like, you know, Lawrence where he can throw the ball on a line downfield, you know, or he can throw with velocity. Mac Jones can't do that. So that's why Mac Jones avoided tight window throws all the time. It, it, like, you know, people were comparing him, uh, you know, to Joe Burrow, which, you know, in some ways I understood. Cause like, you know, just on the surface level is like Alabama's offense doing awesome. And, you know, LSU's, you know, did, you know, the year before, and, you know, that was comparable. And, um, you know, for people, you know, uh, Burrow jumped up and, and Jones probably jumped up in the same way that Burrow did. But the, the biggest difference between the two is Burrow was always throwing into tight windows, always throwing into tight windows. You know, he, you know, you, cause you, even in your mind's eye, you can place that, that title team. Think of all the times he, you know, you can think in your mind's eye, like, um, you know, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, like times where you can think of, you know, defenders on them when the ball got there. I mean, even, you know, Edwards E. Lair, 
right? Or, or Terrace Marshall, you know, like in, in jump ball situation, you know, whatever. Um, but like um, uh, Mac Jones, he avoided those as best he could. And he was lucky in that regard, both because he had, um, you know, just obviously an all world uh, supporting cast. Um, you know, I mean, both, you know, perhaps the best running back in the nation that perhaps the best offensive line in the nation certainly won the Ed, the Ed Moore award. Um, and then the receiver who had, you know, the, the best receiver season, you know, in, in a super duper long time, but then also Steve Sarkeesian was the perfect uh, coordinator that gave him the perfect scheme to mask his limitations because, um, you know, you got the pre-designed reads, uh, number one, um, you also got, um, you know, the, the receivers in space, um, you know, with the, the, the motions, et cetera. Mac Jones had um, 300 more um, yards to open receivers than any other uh, quarterback in the nation last year. Um, and Smith, De- Devonta Smith, he ended up leading the nation in uh, screen yards last year. He would have had a, a, you know, a butt ton even without them. But, you know, it's just a- another data point that that shows uh, how much Mac Jones's uh, stats were being padded, um, you know, by some chicanery you know it's not chicanery because it moved the ball but um you know it's it, these aren't things that are sustainable you know as, as far as, as the nfl goes not going to consistently move the ball um and so like with you know like the, the thing that's strangely you know like i saw uh, mike uh, uh mr tannenbaum i seen him on tv and he's like you know he's talking about I think he was talking with McShay too, one of my one of my dear favorites, Todd McShay. And um, you know, they're having a meeting of the minds, you know, and it's um, you know, it's it it it's beautiful. It's like Frost Nixon. And uh Tannenbaum's saying like uh, you know, Mac Jones, et cetera, et cetera, and he's he's waxing nostalgic and he's like, Mac Jones has a floor of the eighth overall pick. And I'm like, the f- I think I can swear on this. the fucking floor. <laughs> yes. Floor. <laughs> and I'm like, the Panthers pick. I'm like the floor. So like Tannenbaum, you're a former uh, GM fella. So what you're basically reporting on live television that the consensus fifth quarterback in this class has a handshake agreement with the team holding the eighth pick in the draft either that or you just have you're just making extremely strong conjecture for no reason like um anyway the espn draft team it um i I just have to stop watching and stop thinking about it because it like yeah you ever seen austin powers with the 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 women the robots you know where they're the the fembots or whatever and then they start like shorting out um some, if I if I read too many Todd McShay draft takes, I'm like, <laughs> and now this new Tannenbaum guy, he starts saying stuff. Where I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, you ran a team. Like, what are you talking about? Mac Jones' fucking floor? Four quarterbacks have to go ahead of him first off. I mean, second off, he's he's not good enough to go eighth. Like, should we address either of those things or should we just pretend that, like, that's a fact? Um, sorry, Pat. I just I had to. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I felt like that no. really that was helpful for me. <laughs> I, like, was I, like, I like the passion and I like the passion and the fire thorn. And, and yeah, I mean, like the ball placement, the leadership. Okay, big check marks in the plus column for him. But like, I do wonder. And and this is like another kind of crazy comp. A guy who I liked a lot when he was a college quarterback, but you know that that lack of an NFL hose just kind of killed him. Eric Zire of Georgia. Last from the past. I mean, it's just like, and you know, Zaire just could not play at the NFL level. And I wonder if maybe, you know, it's going to be the same kind of thing with Mac Jones. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I think a, a player that's like Mac Jones, but just better is Jared Goff, right? Like Jared Goff has some of the same kinds of limitations and Sean McVay was able to, you know, more, you know, at times where they were going well, was able to scheme around them by doing a lot of the things that we were talking about with the Zach Wilson stuff, right? Like, you know, you put him in the wide zone thing and you, you know, you do a lot of wide zone runs and now it's a play action and now we're bootlegging and now we're going to throw it over the middle into the open space, Jared. Like we're going to cut down on your reads, et cetera. Like Mac Jones. And like, this is another disconnect on the Mac Jones thing. Like uh, that. I don't think people get is like, it's not just that he's getting free production from these, these, these pre-designed reads. So like that's, that, that, you know, that's number one. But the other thing is um, as PFF charted, he struggles going to his second read. He was the worst quarterback of the top five, uh, throwing to uh, the receiver beyond his first read um, that, you know, that's a criticism that is ubiquitous with, with Justin Fields um, strangely, because Justin Fields, you know, again, is willing to go through all of his reads and he doesn't uh, Justin Fields doesn't have this, you know, I mean, Justin, you know, some people would say, you know, it's, you know, would talk about like the, the transition, uh, the translation of that offense to the NFL, but it's not as, is 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 gimmicky in terms of, um, just stealing the free yards and giving the freebie throws um, and giving the freebie reads that Alabama's is, that Sarkeesian's is. And that's why Sarkeesian's the, the head coach of Texas, because he can get the ball up the field um, regardless of the talent of his players sometimes. Like that, that's why he, that's why Saban wanted him. Like Sarkeesian drank himself out of the game. And then Saban's like, no, come back and be my offensive coordinator. Like why? Because he's effing awesome play caller. Right. And then Texas like fired Tom Herman to like let him run the program. And, you know, and that's why um, Tua, you know, you can't argue that Tua got overdrafted at five and simultaneously like Mac Jones. Mac Jones is just Tua without, um, you know, without mobility. And he might read the field a bit better because, you know, Tua got caught. Um, in college, you know, one of the weaknesses of him was he would get picked off by like guys sitting in zone. Like sometimes he he had blinders on that. But Tua's accuracy, uh, you know, to all all sectors and, and in terms of uh, balls that were on target was was better uh, than Mac Jones. So um, you might say that I'm a bit uh, pessimistic on 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 Mac Jones. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Um, all right, l- let's turn to the running back store. And as we record this podcast late Tuesday afternoon. Your article on the running backs in this year's draft class was just posted, and I think you might surprise some people with your number one running back. Uh, who is it? It's Javante Williams. So why have you fallen so hard for this guy, and and who did you comp him to? Yeah, the um, the comps were were interesting for all the backs um, this year because this is this is an interesting class. I, I think for for running backs. And we, we talked before the show that we're excited to talk about these guys. I'm super excited to talk about. Yeah. Cause like, um, you know, my process with these is like, you know, I mean, like I cover, you know, the guys in college and stuff like that. But like when I do the, the write-ups, basically I get, um, a week to go to take all my work on each position and then go like super duper deep, you know, as far as like the, the writing and putting it together and like, you know, spending on, so like, I, you know, it, like I spend like a week just, you know, in the positions, you know, in, in addition, you know, whatever. Um, and so like, you know, I, I feel like I've been in the running backs the last week and I, I just posted it. So I'm, I'm like, I haven't shared my takes with, with any, like, I didn't want to talk about it on Twitter, like during the week, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm super excited to chop this up with you, man. 
Awesome, man. Uh, yeah. So Javante, like Javante, I mean, like I had so much fun actually reading the write up on him before I came on with you. I mean, like some of the highlights are just spectacular. Like the, the, the blitzer from Florida state who he just pile drives into the ground on that. But like, that's not what's going to excite the fantasy people, I guess. So, uh, you know, let's start. Let's start sure. there. Well, like, well, should people in their rookie dynasty drafts be excited to get this guy? Sure. Well, what what should uh, excite fantasy folks about that is a uh, well-rounded game. Um, and it should particularly so because, um, you know, I think one knock on, on Javante is um, – you know, and, and again, you know, this is another one where it's like, you know, he's, he's, he's such a good prospect where a lot of the times the, the nitpicky knocks are things that are coming off of um, things that are also in his strength uh, column. But like the, the, the knock on him is, you know, he was, he was never sort of the bell cow, right? Like he, you know, um, you know, cause Michael Carter was there obviously, but then, you know, obviously in the strength category is far, far less tread on the tires than, you, you know, I mean, like for a lot of top running back uh, prospects coming in, but particularly for like a, you know, a physical type back like this, you know, like a lot of times those kids are uh, fed the ball and fed the ball early. But uh, Javante was in a, um, a unique situation with UNC where um, he just so happened to uh, be playing at the same time as, as Michael Carter, who was uh, just a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous uh, back, um, you know, and, and they had disparate uh, skill sets. As, as far as Javante, um, going back to the comp thing, I ended up settling on Nick Chubb. And I thought about that one for a really long time because I, I love Javante. And I, I, I talked with a buddy about this actually earlier today because I still hadn't settled on my Javante comp. Like, this is how much I think about this stuff. Cause like I, um, the, the comps that I'd had for him, it's, um, you know, and I, Pat, I don't know. I, I know you like comps like I do, but I don't know, like, you know, how you perceive them. Like I hate comps that are like, oh, he's a bigger version of blank or he's a slower version of blank. Like I, I like them to be more, uh, you know, j- just where it's like, you know, it speaks for itself. Right. And so like, you know, just a clear picture. Um, and so like, uh, you know, but I, the things I was falling on with him, I was having a hard time and, you know, I started thinking about it and I, I think a part of it is because, um, I, I hadn't really seen a guy like totally like him before. Like I, I've seen guys with some of his, um, you know, uh, strengths before, but like not totally like him. Um, Javante Williams last season, I, I don't know that people know this. He had the highest graded, uh, PFF season ever for a running back. And not only that, UNC's offensive line is not good. And it hasn't been good for a couple of years. Like they're bad by any metric. I, I, I listed all the advanced offensive line metrics in my column. Uh, UNC's is bad. Um, and Javante Williams destroyed. Um, and again, last season had, you know, per PFF, the best, you know, uh, per, you know, snap season, and, and, you know, of any running back during the, the grading era. Um, and so, you know, like that, and then like, um, you know, he just shattered the broken tackle uh, record and the way he does it, um, you know, some guys use, um, you know, it's a strength thing. And then some guys like, you know, Devin Motor Singletary, for instance, he broke a lot of tackles at FAU. Um, but that was a pure movement thing. You know, it was like chicken in the coop, you know, and you guys would get their hands on him, but you couldn't, you know, ever square him up, stuff like that. Um, but like with Javante, it's both. Um, he, 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 like I say, he, he drops the hammer as hard as anyone in the class. He drops it harder than, than Najee. Najee sometimes doesn't want to go the contact route. Um, Najee sometimes wants to be more of a, of a slasher. 
Um, but Javante, he's willing to go the violence route all the time. He chooses violence all the time. He was a former uh, linebacker in, in, in high school. And that's just, that's the way he plays. It's like live on the sword, die on the sword. He, you know, he plays like, like his hair is on fire. Um, but he, he has that, but he also has just fabulous movement skills. And that's to me, what, uh, separates him, differentiates him, uh, makes him special, um, is because you, you have those things in conjunction. Um, and then for a bigger back, um, he also has really good burst. And so like, he can get himself into space, right? Where like some guys, um, sort of of this ilk, um, might, uh, you know, sort of struggle to, um, in that moment where, um, you know, you've sort of read your blocks and it's time to, to burst through the hole. Um, you know, they, they don't have that acceleration. Um, he does, he, he, you know, in, in, in terms of explosion, in terms of burst, he's better than Najee Harris. Um, and he has better long speed than, than Najee Harris. Um, you know, they haven't done the testing yet, but based on the tape, I'm, I feel, you know, confident in saying that, um, and so like, you know, I, I, I like him for those reasons again, you know, in, in terms of contact balance, um, he's ridiculous. He does. And it's not just like contact balance. Like he does things in terms of balance that I don't see other, like he's creative in terms of like, it's a, um, it's an inherent instinct. I, I would say with Javante, like some guys try to stay up, et cetera, but like Javante Williams, it's like, um, you know, it's like, like a fish out of water to go down. You know, like, um, you know, I think the example is, you know, that I, I put in the column that like were striking to me on um, watching him like um, he, he just has different moves as far as like uh, um, you'll see him. He very rarely is off balance, but when he does get sort of knocked, um, you know, off balance. Um, you'll see him a lot of times put his hand, uh, try to put his hand down to the turf, his non-ball hand um, to right himself and and get back going. And he he can do that. There's not a lot of guys who even attempt it. And there's, you know, it's like a Barry Sanders kind of move. Um, but he does that. Um, he's he's another guy where like if, you know, if he's like sort of falling to the ground, he'll kick his feet as he's going down to the ground and sort of sort of swim his way to like another like extra yard just by kicking like it, it's just like stuff like that when you're you just appreciate it, right? Because like it's like you watch all these guys, and it's like you know every you know process, you know it's like you know it's fun to go to the museum, but you like watch so many different, you know you, you see so many different paintings that like when you see something that's sort of different, um, it really stands out. And he does a lot of different things uh, that stand out, and he has a lot of special traits. Um, and the other thing, as far as, you know, going back to the pass blocking thing, um, he's not only, you know, good as a pass blocker and he improved a lot as a pass blocker, usurped Michael Carter as the pass blocker this past season, Michael Carter, great third down back. Uh, but Williams, you know, became a, a really good pass blocker. Um, but Williams is, is I think a better receiver, uh, than he's given credit for, uh, Williams just was not able to, um, show that part of his game as much in college, uh, through no fault of his own. Um, he just so happened to be playing with, uh, you know, one of the better receiving running backs uh, that we've seen come out in the past couple of years. Michael Carter is just really, really good at that. You can't, you can't begrudge uh, Javante Williams for, you know, you know, less reps than he had because Javante Williams had, a, you know, a decent amount of, of catches, you know, as far as for a guy playing uh, with a guy like Michael Carter. So I, I just think, you know, it, it, it's a will, really well-rounded game. You're not going to get as many explosive runs as, as with ETN, um, but you know there there is more of that than with Najee Harris, um, and and I think you're getting um, you know a better runner in general. Yeah, I would urge you to check out Thor's running back 
uh, article, which again, just posted today and read the Javante Williams write-up because the way Thor articulates all of this in the article, not the highlights that accompany it, uh, I think you might fall in love with him too. I know that, well, I, I guess I'll just ask. So where do, you know, with most people having Javante three behind Harris and Travis Etienne, where do uh, Najee and Etienne come in uh, in your rankings? And is there a lot of separation between the top three in your view or very little? Um, so Najee for me is is two and uh, Etienne for me is, is three. Um, I guess the way that I would see it is... Um, I would, uh, I guess the way that I'd say it is, I'd pro- I'd have less separation between uh, Harris and uh, Williams than I would. I'd have a little more space between uh, Etn and Harris. I, I suppose it would be fair to say that I'm lower on Etn um, than others, um, and that I'm higher on Williams than others. I, I think I'm probably pr- probably just about as high on on Harris. I, I would assume than um, than others, but I you know I, I don't have him one. Some other people have him one, but I. I, I like Harris a whole, whole heck of a lot. You know, I, I he's a really good runner. Um, you know, like like I said, he's you know he, he both has the the power element, but um, you know he's also a really good mover. And you know, you know, in the open field, like I was saying, you know, it would, you know, vis a vis Javante, um, you know, Javante is always choosing violence, and but Najee, um, he tries to evade people, you know, as well. He he will drop the hammer, uh, yes, of course, um, but you know, he also uses movement, which you know adds a sort of element. Uh, to his game. But what I really appreciate about Najee and what I would really be excited about, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, his next uh, NFL team and and that fan base, if I was getting him, um, I think he brings something really interesting to the NFL um, in his receiving ability. And it's not, uh, you know, people say it, um, but the specific way I don't think is talked about enough, which is, um, his dimensions are really, really unique for someone who's so good at catching the ball. Um, and so that's what, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about, um, you know, he's six two and I think, I think he has an 82. Let's see if I got it here. I think it's an 82 inch, uh, wingspan. And you know yeah. what I, I mean, like, longest at the senior goal, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, um, he was, you know, th- there was no other running back that was even uh, 79. I, th- I think the, or I'm sorry, the, the other, okay. So he had, he was 81. The next highest was 79. Um, but then he, he also would have had the, the longest of any uh, wide receiver. And I think he would have had the second longest of any tight end. Um, Nico Collins, uh, Trevon Grimes, Noah Gray, uh, Kenny Yaboa, and John Bates, all six four or taller that attended the, the senior ball. Harris has a longer wingspan than than any of those guys. And he's about the same height as Irv Smith. Um, Irv Smith has a 74 uh, and 7 eighths inch wingspan. Again, Harris has an 81 inch wingspan. Ir- Irv Smith obviously was his former teammate uh, and a tight end dash H back. Um, the, the, the whole thing with Harris is um, – just awesome, awesome receiver. Like he's a really, really good route runner. Um, you know, again, um, you know, he's a physical player, but like the movement is, is what jumps out at you when, um, you know, he's, he's running his routes. Um, he's a smart player that can create separation both when he has the ball 
um, you know, like when, you know, just in terms of like making moves, stuff like that, but like when he doesn't as well. Um, so, you know, he's, he's really good at movement, create separation, stuff like that. It's hard for uh, linebackers to stick with him. And then he's a really, really difficult uh, task when the ball's coming um, because he he's ludicrously long, right? It's, it's, it's six, two with, um, you know, an 81 inch uh, wingspan. That's, you're talking basically a second tight end on on the field. He doesn't drop passes at all, and like he makes plays upfield. Um, I mean, like he can catch the ball downfield. He can high point. You can see this on tape. Like he catches balls in the end zone, catches balls downfield, uh, running regular routes. Like he does a lot of different stuff. Can catch the ball in fifty fifty situations, etc. Um, and so I think with you know when I think about Najee, it's like yeah, you get the you'll get the grinding stuff. Um, you know, maybe it's not as much like Jerome Bettisy as maybe as people think in their mind. There's a little bit, you know, more, you know, again, like slasher there maybe. Um, but then, you know, I think what maybe people don't think about as much that, um, you know, I think is really important is, um, you know, for the the passing offense is you're getting essentially what is a, a second tight end in, in, in terms of a receiver. I think he only, he had 80 catches in, in college and, and only three drops and again made a bunch of plays and, you know, after the catch and, and never fumbled. The, the only downside with Najee, it's just an utter lack of speed. That's that's the thing that prevents him from being the easy RB one. Um he's, he, you know, like I said before, he's slower than, than Javante. Um, and he just didn't, you know, even though he was playing in this just utterly ideal offense, you know, he played with good quarterbacks. He played behind the best offensive line, you know, the receivers, the defense always had to respect him, et cetera. Um, I, I think he only had, was it 20 runs of 25 yards or more something like that in his career long was, is something in the forties. Um, and last year, you know, he had so many carries, his, his long was like 25 or 26. Um, so, you know, th- the point I make in my column in, in baseball parlance, if, if you're going to draft uh, Najee, you do so knowing that he's never going to hit any home runs, but he's going to hit a butt ton of singles and doubles, right? He's like, you're getting Kenny Lofton, you know, it's you're sort of inverting it on the, on the metaphor, but you get my, my drift. <laughs> yes. So, uh, it- I know that some people think Travis Etienne is a, a sublime pass catcher, but it seems like you're not quite ready to give him the sort of credit as an Alvin Kamara like receiver out of the backfield. No, and but you know, but I think this is a really important uh, topic to talk about because I think um, you know it gets uh, run over too quickly, and people have a poor idea both of ETN's uh, receiving ability, and I think they get a false idea of who he is as a prospect. Um, as far as uh, ETN as a receiver, I think it's really important to understand the context, um, which is um, through his first two seasons, he was an awful receiver, like really, really, really bad. And he also couldn't pass block. So they couldn't they couldn't use him on third downs basically at all. And then uh, prior to 2019, he told the media, he's laughed about this on Twitter, uh, but he was super honest. And he said that he was uncomfortable as a receiver. Um, and he clearly, uh, you know, in the off season worked really, really hard on that. Um, and it seems like he probably talked to the coaching staff about becoming more involved in the passing offense. Um, and he got be- a lot better as a receiver in 2019. And then in 2020, uh, he really took off, you know, and statistically and everything else. And he was a, a bigger part of the plan. And I assume uh, that a part of Dabo Sweeney and those guys being able to coax him back 
uh, for a fourth season at Clemson. I assume a part of that was them promising uh, him, Travis, we're going to throw you the ball a whole heck of a lot next season because ETN had probably, you know, was probably well aware of the fact that that was, you know, one of the bigger question marks on on his uh, eval. Um, and all that's great. And, you know, he, he, he did not drop a lot of uh, passes and he made uh, plays after the catch and he had some explosive plays um, and he had a really high uh, PFF grade. You know, it was like, I think it was over 90 uh, receiving grade. And, you know, again, he looked pretty good. So like, you know, I, I think like, you know, when people start going overboard with the Kamara stuff, it's like, oh, you know, he's sort of close to Kamara's size and he's an awesome receiver. And then that's it, right? Like, you know, that the, the, the jury is in. Um, but it's like not so fast, my friend, to, to quote uh, Lee Corso, um, like ETN is he, he's still learning, right? Like the plays. Yes, he, he yes, his, he, he had a lot, you know, catches and he 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 put up yards and touchdowns on those catches, et cetera. Um, but it's a lot of dump offs and screens and, you know, check downs, et cetera. Um, you have to understand uh, against defenses that are inched way, way, way back uh, against Trevor Lawrence because they're they're facing a quarterback who's a generational downfield thrower. Um, and ETN with the ball in his hands in space, that's where he's super duper effing dangerous. Um, what ETN was not doing uh, in in even in 2020 when you know his his receiving his way up, he wasn't doing the uh, Clyde Edwards E. Lair Kamara thing where it was like, you know, running super duper um you know, advanced crisp routes or getting flexed out into the slot or, you know, doing some of these hybrid type things. It wasn't that it, you know, it was a lot of just, you know, like, um, you know, baby walk before baby run, uh, kind of things. And then it's like, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, the kid in like middle school baseball that can throw 95 miles and it like ETN just going to run a lot of times against these ACC defenses. So, um, you know, the thing that I'll say is like, yeah, you know, in terms of like explosion and in terms of like speed, like, you know, athleticism, stuff like that, like, and, uh, you know, some this progression he's shown, if he can keep, um, you know, working, improving on that, um, and, and he can become a, you know, run more diverse routes, become a bigger part of the, the past, he can become truly, truly dangerous in that, um, you know, in that area of the field. He's going to be really, really good in it either way, because when the ball's in his hands, in space, he's dangerous. So you want to shuttle that out to him in space as often as you can. The more gains he makes in, you know, the route running and in, in the field and the, you know, finding the open space, et cetera, uh, departments, uh, the better he's going to be at that, the better he's going to be able to, to leverage his, his true special sauce of, of the ball in his hands in, in, in space. But th that, again, that that's where I differ from people that, that just jump up to the uh, Elvin Kamara um, uh, comp, my comp is a different former saint. Um, and I think it's more apt. My comp is Reggie Bush. Um, he's another straight line explosive guy who dominated in college in ideal system, um, around other really good players, um, who in the NFL, it was, you know, found that, um, you know, you can't put him in that ideal system and he's not always going to have, you know, uh, a superior offensive line, um, you know, and, and be in these circumstances, et cetera. Reggie Bush needed space, uh, you know, to sort of get that runway so that he could, you know, take off. Um, ETN does too. ETN doesn't make people miss. He doesn't want to make people miss in general. Um, he wants that runway and he wants to explode. Um, that's what he's looking for. Um, and so you saw it when in 2018, 2019, he was one of the nation's best running backs. 
Um, and then this past season, Clemson's offensive line fell off big. They lost four offensive linemen to the NFL and their yards that they, um, you know, that that ETN was touched before contact. It was it went from like 3.9 to 2.9 to 1.9 this year. And ETN's game uh, fell, you know, in, in kind. He was, um, you know, even though he was much better as a, a receiver, um, the running you know, the, the, you know, as a runner, it just, he was, he was just not nearly as good as he'd been in the previous seasons. Um, and when you dug deeper into the, um, you know, 2020 season, um, you saw that he was much better running to the left side, uh, behind Jackson Carmen than any other. So he actually struggled mightily running to uh, the right side when he was not running behind Jackson Carmen. And so, uh, my supposition is that again, like a player like Reggie Bush is that he's, um, you know, he's a really good player. Um, you know, um, you know, he has certain special traits, but he is a situationally uh, dependent player. He's a player who's going to play up, um, you know, when the system is more specific for him in ETN's case, uh, a wide open system that gives him, you know, more pre-delineated spaces to run into, um, up to, you know, up tempo. He's fine doing that as well. Um, and then playing with, um, you know, superior players um, in particular, it, it helps him with the offensive line because you can see clearly in his numbers, the better offensive line he plays with, the way better that ETN gets. And it makes a lot of sense because he needs space. He can't create it on his own. He doesn't make people miss in the backfield. He's not trying to. What he does in the backfield is he looks for a runway. He's just looking for that runway. And when he finds it, he's, he's hitting the accelerator and he's going into berserker mode. Like that's what his game is. So if you can get him, you know, you swallow those holes or you don't show him those holes. It's not just that you take away his home runs. You also strike him out. Right. So you can just completely take him out of games. And we saw this for instance, in both of his games against Ohio state. Um, you know, I think he ran for, you know, 60 or 80 yards or something combined in both those games. Cause Ohio state has a really good uh, defensive line. Right. And so like the, the, the holes that ETN was used to seeing, you know, out of that shotgun with Lawrence, they just were not there. And so ETN was not able to do his thing where it's, he's like loading up to just like Sonic the Hedgehog, like, you know, explode forward. And again, you can just, you can make him toothless. So why do I have ETN third? Because the top two guys, you can't do that. They're not situationally dependent in the same way. Right. Like the other two guys, you can put them into any scheme um, and they're going to uh, produce to some degree. Um, whereas ETN, I think he could really, really play down if he finds, you know, the wrong situation. Um, and to me, that is uh, indicative of uh, less value. Why, why should people be higher on Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson? Thor, you've got him at number five. You've got the big three, then Michael, uh, Michael Carter four. Um, and for that matter, I guess, why aren't people higher on Ramondre Stevenson after the way he just eviscerated Florida in the cotton ball? Yeah, it's funny. There's, he, he comes from a, a, a big program. He played there the last couple of years and, you know, like you're mentioning, he, he, he went supernova in a, in a high profile bowl game. And yet there's been so little talk of him. I almost feel like, you know, we, for the audience, we almost have to like, you know, give a, a sort of like background on, on Ramondre. Like I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much people um, know of him yet. You know, like, um, he, I, you know, it, it's not just that he's underranked around the industry. I, like it's, it's been, you know, very quiet. And 
you know, I th- a part of that might be because um, Ramondre uh, struggled at uh, the senior bowl. Um, and a part of it might be like Ramondre showed up to the senior bowl, like uh, 15, 20 pounds less than he was um, at, you know, in college, which, you know, I thought actually was kind of cool. Cause I thought he moved well for 242 pounder. And if nothing else, why not go and show, you know, the NFL that you're dedicated that you can, you know, cut the weight. Um, number one, like, you know, I mean, that wasn't a long time after the season that would have, that would have taken legitimate uh, dedication in that month or whatever, uh, to cut that weight to do the, you know, whatever. Um, but also, you know, um, y- y- it's, it's not just, you know, as far as like moving more fluid, but like, you know, just in, in terms of like offering them, you know, th- this is something for instance, that like Kenny Gainwell or Michael Carter couldn't do. You can't be like, Oh, you know, if you take me, there's multiple different options, but like Stevenson could be like, take me, you know, you can have the 245 pound option or, you know, check out the 220 pound option, you know, you know, can do different things. Um, but anyway, um, you know, that might, that might be, uh, one of the reasons, another reason, um, certainly is this idea that he has red flags. Um, this is an idea that I wanted to take on, uh, head on in my column because I think it's uh, ridiculous. Um, I hear this every time Ramondre Stevenson uh, is is brought up. There's this idea of red flags. Um, another thing that's brought up every time is is lack of long speed. That one is true, um, but you know, again, the the other accompanying thing they always bring up is 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 red flags. I I, I disagree. Um, the you know the reason that Ramondre Stevenson you didn't see him until 2019 is because he went to a JUCO his first two years. Um, the reason that that happened was, I mean, number one, he had an injury uh, his senior year of, of, of high school. The other reason is, is he didn't qualify academically. Um, is that a red flag to me? No, not necessarily. Some kids aren't aren't good at school, and he was, you know, he was good enough to get through JUCO and then and then get back to Oklahoma. And then the other, the bigger uh, red flag to, to other folks is before Oklahoma's. Uh, uh, bowl game last in 2019, um, he had a positive marijuana test, um, same as Perkins and and one of the other kids. Um, and that triggered uh, what I feel to be a draconian uh, suspension um, by Oklahoma that not only knocked him out of the bowl game, but, um, you know, put his status in doubt. And, you know, ultimately, I think he was suspended the first four or five games or something of, of this season. So it cost him you know, of his last season, it cost him basically half the season. Um, you know, but then he, you know, he ended up, uh, coming back and was just utterly fabulous, um, uh, down the stretch, you know, and, and just, a th- you know, I, 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 you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox about this, but, um, again, you know, if you're talking about a kid and every single time you, you, you talk, you're not talking about his strengths or his weaknesses, you're just negating him by being like, Oh, he's not fast enough to be an NFL running back, not mentioning the fact that he's, he's faster than Najee Harris, I think. Um, and then two, you're saying, oh, he's got a red flag. So, so, you know, end of conversation, that's it. Um, but the red flag is that he smoked marijuana one time. Um, his, his Juco coach says that they drug tested them every week and Ramondre Stevenson never, never tested positive one time. The Juco coach said he was stunned. Um, by that, he said, Ramondre Stevenson is a wonderful human being. He's like one of his favorite players ever. Um, and he said, you know, Ramondre was embarrassed by this, et cetera. And he just said it was like a mistake in judgment and not, you know, in any way indicative of character. I've seen Ramondre uh, talk about it. Um, you know, same sort of thing. He just, you know, fesses up to it and is like, you know, I made a mistake, et cetera. Um, 
but even, you know, the, the sort of idea of like, you know, let's pin people up on the cross because they, they smoke pot. I, I'm just, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to continue to, to, to take it seriously. So I, I think I'm just going to stop. Um, you know, at this point it's, it's, I think it's 45 of, of 50 States that, that have it legalized in some form. Um, it's going to be nationwide pretty soon. Of course, uh, two thirds of American citizens want it legalized. Um, it's, the whole, I mean, in the NBA, they don't test for it anymore. That the NFL changed the CBA, so you don't get to suspend it until your your third one, I believe, at this point. And sometime in the in the very near future, the NFL will will cease, uh, you know, testing for it at all, which they they shouldn't. Um, so anyway, that is a long winded way of, of me saying uh, Ramondre Stevenson's speed concerns are overblown because you can't disqualify him for that and not say the same disqualify Najee Harris to the same or more degree. And his the red flag thing, I think, is ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, you just look at his production on the field at Oklahoma was crazy. You know, in his games was 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 really really crazy, and it wasn't just as a runner. You know, I, I just love him as a runner. He's just a freight train. You know, it's like you talk like you know, I compared him to like a, a, a you know a burning car. You know, you know, uh, tumbling down a mountain. You know, it's like he doesn't change directions very well. But uh, damn, if it's 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 hard to get in front of him and stop him. Um, you know, so, so he has that sort of running style, and he just sort of zaps you when you try to touch him, like. Um, you know that he had this one really awesome run against Florida, Pat. I know that you saw this one, um, where it's it's not a long touchdown run, um, but he ends up running through. I, like most of the Florida team ends up touching him, and it's just like it doesn't phase him whatsoever. You know, it's just like these guys that should have clean shots on him. It, it, it's just you know again like zaps you of your power. Like he's he's just one of those players that is so much stronger than the the people around him that. It's just sort of a different thing. Um, and the last thing that I will say about him is the other, the third thing that I hear that disqu people disqualify him with, they, they, they just say like he struggles as a pass receiver. That's just not true. That That's just, that's just people that, you know, they don't know him, you know, they, they, they haven't done their work. They're just saying that. Um, he actually like, you know, with the snaps that he had, he only had like 200, what was it? 235 snaps at the FBS level. Um, he still had, what was it? I got the number, uh, still had 28 catches for 298 yards, uh, with only two drops, um, over again, only 235 snaps. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but like he, he, you know, more, uh, more yards than, than snaps, only, only two drops, um, the start of his career, um, that, you know, that's all the snaps that he's had to this point. Chuba Hubbard, who people, some people think that Chuba Hubbard is a, is a good receiver. Chuba Hubbard has like 450 career, uh, receiving yards, you know, over what, whatever, four years in Stillwater or whatever. Um, and he, uh, Ramondre averaged like two and a half more yards, uh, you know, something like that, um, per catch, uh, more than Chuba. So, um, I, I think he's a better receiver than he's given credit for. And I think he'll get better, um, in that, you know, area as he goes forward. So I, I just think he's, he's really underrated. Um, I think there's a lot of false narratives out there about him that, um, you know, not, not only, you know, are, are leading to him being underranked, but it almost, you know, is, is, you know, precipitous of, of disqualifying even conversation about him. Cause like I said, I, I, I get really excited about him and I, I just don't really hear about him from, other people. It's, it's, it's surprising to me, you know, and now I'll get to talk more because I, I wasn't talking as much about the running backs before, but I'll be curious to see, you know, what other people think, you know, and, and figure out why maybe I, I know some people like him because I've seen on Twitter today, people agreeing with me. So 
I saw that, that there was some, uh, you know, the other people were excited that you were sort of going to bat for Ramondre, which was, uh, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, he's an interesting one and there. It's, it's kind of cool that there's some big backs in this class to get excited about. Um, and, uh, you know, with the receivers, like I, I think there are a lot of really exciting small receivers in this class. Like it's a, a good year to find like slot guys and, um, well, l- let's turn to wide receivers for a second, Thor. I, I know I, uh, you know, can't keep you here all night, but, um, I don't want to give anything away since your wide receiver article has not come out yet, but can you tell me whether Jamar Chase is going to be your number one? I, I can't cause I, I still myself don't know. Um, like, uh, you know, like doing this and like, you know, the thing of like being in there for like a week and then, you know, just in the, you know, that final thing and then putting it out like, I know pretty good um, going in the tiers of, of them, you know, like how, at least how I think of them. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it doesn't untangling them. Like I, I was with my running backs, I was swapping. Um, there was a couple that I swapped, like even right before I hit publish, just a couple individual ones where I, cause, cause I always think of it like, um, I know some people, uh, and this is probably, a, I'm going to go on a side right here, but I, th- this would be a way more mentally healthy way to go about it would be like, um, you know, I know people like Mark Jarvis does like a checklist and he puts like numbers, like a scouting checklist. I know a lot of people do that. They like, you know, there's all these traits and they put like little numbers by them and add them up and um, stuff like that. And then you, you know, you can rank the, the guys like that. Um, that, you know, that's not how I do it. Um, you know, I, th- the way that I do it, you know, again, it's, it's sort of like, you know, the work I've done and then they they go into these, these tiers and then they, you know, basically what, when I end up rolling them out, it's like, if I get into situations where it's not obvious to me, it, you know, it sort of becomes a question of like, you know, if, I, I wrote a question like this on Twitter, but it's funny because this is actually how I think of it. Like the question on Twitter was like, um, you know, if you were being held up by a gunman and one of these four, you had to correctly choose which one of these four quarterbacks was going to be the first one to win, to lead an NFL team to a win. And it was like Sam Ellinger, Shane Bouchelle, uh, Felipe Franks, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Davis Mills. Um, but like, you know, that's how I do my ranking. It's always like, you know, if your life was on the line and you're, you know, if you were going to get fired, you know, like, what would it be, you know, between these two guys? So anyway, like that's, um, and all of which is to say, uh, the reason for that soliloquy was, um, you know, I, I can certainly tell you that, uh, you know, those two, um, along with Waddle, although, you know, I, we'll see there, uh, but certainly those two are, are, are in that tier. Um, but like, I, I, I that decision might come down to the very end because there's, and there's such disparate prospects. Um, and I appreciate, uh, like different things about both of them. And so, you know, between those guys specifically, it'd be a thing where like, if, if you ran a team, uh, the, the flavor that you had for your offense, what you needed would probably dictate which one you took. That would be the tiebreaker. But like, that's one hard thing about just doing the draft rankings because you're not doing it for a team. You don't have a scheme, you know, you don't, it's not like, oh, I need an X or I need a slot. It's just like, you know, everything's, you know, it's, everything's blank. You know, it's all theoretical. You know what I mean? It, it, almost in a problem. Sure, way, sure. I would say. Yeah. Um, th- there are two guys I wanted to ask you about specifically, because I know, uh, you know, you're in Big Ten country. I know you follow these guys closely. You're in Minnesota and playing right in your backyard, Rashad Bateman for the Gophers. Um 
I mean, how do you feel about him coming in? Like, are you as excited about some of the other people who've got him, you know, at uh, Chase's level just below who see him as, as truly one of the elites in this year's receiver class? I don't have him quite as, as, as high as Chase, but I, I, I think I'm higher on him than than others because, like, I, I I've seen uh, mock drafts that don't have him in the first round, and that that really yeah. surprised me. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I living in 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 Minneapolis, um, you know, I I seen Bateman coming up, you know, like when it was a big story here when when Fleck recruited him out of Georgia, you know, it was, um, you know, it was one of the first signs that we had that the PJ Fleck that that is his recruiting acumen was going to translate, you know, in sort of a big way from from Western Michigan. So he was a Ballyhoo guy, and he came in, he was awesome right away, right? And you know, and then we saw that he was he was both awesome outside. Uh, 2019, he had one of the best you know outside uh, receivers uh, seasons outside of. Uh, uh, Jamar Chase, you know, Chase won the Belinikoff that year, but Bateman led the nation in, you know, like yards per route run, you know, on, on the outside and just dominated, um, you know, and then this past season, um, I will say, you know, people can just, uh, you know, I would suggest just tossing the tape on uh, 2020. Um, the Gophers were both a, a, a flaming uh, train wreck, um, but not just that, it was um, their offensive philosophy. I, like I got a lot of issues um, th- there's things that I like about PJ Fleck and there's things that I don't, and they're, they're different than, than some other people. I, I actually don't mind the, the raw, raw stuff. I, I think it's kind of cute. Sometimes I just want to like pinch the little flexster on his cheeks. I, I don't mind that stuff at all. Or, you know, pick them up and throw them on a the little pile, <laughs> you know, whatever. I, I don't mind that stuff. Um, but what I hate, I hate this is he is super intractable with his systems. Um, and this is very frustrating to watch because you want to go and explain to him, "Hey, PJ, you understand that you're you're not the coach at Alabama. Uh, your your team is frequently, um, you know, outmanned in terms of talent. You're you're an underdog. Schematically, you have to do things that 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 are different than what your opponent sees on tape. Or, you know, it's going to be very hard for you to upset them. Um, but they do a lot of the same things, and that you know that helps them to be consistent. Um, you know, and it helps to play up people like Tanner Morgan, for instance. Um, but you know, and, 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 you know, perhaps not to get upset, you know, and, and so maybe it's helped to elevate them a little bit. Um, but it's, I also think it might end up capping, uh, their ceiling a little bit. And, you know, one of the specifics, uh, in, with regards to that, it's like, uh, Tyler Johnson, people know that he was the slot receiver in 2019. He got a lot of targets. Uh, Bateman did as well on the outside. Uh, but then in 2020, they moved, uh, Bateman into the slot. Um, which just made little sense at all. Um, you know, Bateman was like one of the best young outside receivers in the nation, certainly returning, um, you know, because at that point uh, Chase wasn't. So you'd probably say that Bateman was maybe the second or third best outside returning receiver. And they put him at, at slot just because that's, you know, the way that PJ flexes offensive football is like, we're putting our best uh, receiver in the slot and we're going to, you know, pepper him with targets or whatever. Um, but like, you know, what Bateman's really good at um, is, is, you know, like you think about him, former basketball player, really good basketball player, high school, um, awesome off the line, awesome footwork, um, crossing dudes over, right. Getting into space. Um, he's always got other guys questioning their own footwork or like trying to stay with them. Right. Like you watch him on the outside, like, you know, Twitter videos, whatever. He's always uh, creating that separation. Um, his, his cuts are crisp. You know, he'll send guys flying, um, he's unpredictable, et cetera. Um, he can throttle down really fast for a guy his size. Um, and they they took all that away and stuck him in the slot. And the slot, you know, the reason that it's it's um, 
you know, in college, it's, it's not as translatable or we poo poo some of those guys is because, you know, in the NFL, um, flat cornerbacks are really good. You know, they're a lot of times they're from college or shut down college corners are just shorter. Um, but you know, a lot of times in, in, in college, it's, uh, you know, strong safeties or it's, um, you know, sometimes even linebackers or, you know, like there's, there's pockets of space to work with there. Like you don't have to be able to separate, uh, you know, so well to, uh, get a, a ton of receptions in, in college, which is a part of Minnesota's philosophy, right? It's like, you know, Tanner Morgan doesn't have the best arm. So, you know, logically, um, you know, the, 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 the best guy will put him closer to Tanner Morgan, right? It's like, it makes this sort of child's intuitive sense. Um, you know, and it, it, you put the ball in less harm wakes, so it'll, it'll, it'll have to travel, you know, further distance. Um, but in, in Bateman's case, you essentially took away what, what was his special sauce, which is creating uh, separation on the outside and then making plays with the ball in his hand out, out, outside, et cetera. And then you also allowed the defense where it was much easier to get help over the top. Um, you know, if, if, if Bateman were going to go to deep, go with deep. Um, and so like, you know, for those reasons, it was just really dumb. And I don't think it is, um, you know, I, I don't, I mean, like he can play the slot, you know I mean? People have made like an Adam Thielen, uh, type comp. And in some ways I can, I can see that. And I, I certainly appreciate cross racial references, uh, and comps and such. Um, but if it was me, um, he's an all day outside receiver. That's where I want him. I, I'm not messing around with him in the slot. He's, he's an outside receiver and a really good one. And I take him in the first round. I think he's a first round. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, it's shocking to me that people don't see him that way, um, especially if the reports of his four, like he self-reported it. So it's like, take it with a big, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll see what he runs at his, at his pro day. But there was the reports that, again, he put out that he ran a, a what was it, 438 at the Exos thing. If he ran uh, high four, if he, or let's just say, if he runs at, at the, the Gopher pro day, uh, high four threes or low four fours, um, he absolutely 1 million percent needs to be a first round pick because what other questions do you have about him at that, th- that point, his ball skills, his hands are, are effing ludicrous. Like he has circus catches that are unlike, it's not just this class. It's like, you can go back several classes. He had a one-handed catch against South Dakota state that it's, it's like, um, it's like, it, it almost seems like CGI, Right. Like he can he, he can be running full steam and snatch a ball one handed and keep running like he you know, he, like his his ball skills are legitimately ridiculous. You get the ball to stick to his hands like the one handed catchers are crazy. Um, and then, you know, again, like the because of the footwork and the sort of strength of the line of scrimmage, no one's ever going to be able to stop him coming off the line of scrimmage. So, um, you know, th- there was like, you know, this this nitpicky criticism that he's not athletic, which is always ridiculous because you know, you had the same uh, criticism about Tyler Johnson, but it's true about Tyler Johnson. It, it's only, it was only true um, of, of Rashad Bateman, it, like in comparison to a player like Jalen Waddle, right? Like, but, but he, he is a good athlete. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how good of an athlete um, the rest of the stuff is aces, body control, everything. Um, he's a really, really good player. Yeah, man, he is a boundary artist. And uh, Jordy Nelson, comes to mind. There's a, a cross racial yeah. reference, like a cross racial comp. Love or, um, <laughs> so one guy though, who probably will be a slot guy, uh, Rondale Moore, like he's going to be a tough eval for NFL teams. Don't you think since there's not much to go on for the last two seasons, or, or, are they just going to see that sublime, incredible freshman season he had at Purdue and just go berserk? Um, 
this is, yeah, I, it sort of seems like, um, he's going to go lower. Um, you know, like he, maybe, uh, you know, cause like he's sort of like, you know, th- th- not, not that they're the same player, but it sort of feels like LaVisca a little bit, right. Just like at the start of their process. Yeah. There are enough knocks. I mean, obviously, you know, LaVisca's sophomore season is what comps to Rondale's freshman season. They were both fantastic. And then things kind of went off the rails a little bit, um, you know, partly supporting cast, partly injuries. So I guess, yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, the, the injury thing, uh, not being on the field, um, you know, for Ron deals, both 2019 and, and 2020, um, that hurts. Um, you know, and then the, the durability thing, um, I, I, I'm ready to get hurt by Rondale, I guess. Um, I, I was higher on LaVisca than some other people. And, uh, I, I, I love Rondale. Um, there's players that can win games single-handedly in college. Um, even if they're unconventional players, there, there's just so few of them. And so, um, you know, for me, um, I have a hard time, uh, giving up on them. Um, and so, you know, yeah, Rondale, um, has had some injuries and he's, he's sort of an unconventional player. Uh, but, uh, you know, I still, I, I still believe he's, he's crazy explosive. Um, he is small. Um, but you know, I, I think, uh, you might've written this on Twitter someone, I, I forget, but like, he's, he's got to build like a, like a mini Saquon Barkley. Like he's just crazy muscular. Um, and so, yeah, he has had injuries, uh, so far. Um, you know, the, the hope is that those nagging injuries will go away. Um, cause he is super fortified and he's super athletic. I mean, the, the way he moves is just, crazy. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Tyreek Hill is one of the guys you think about. There's not many guys that can move like that. So like the electricity he brings to the building, um, Purdue was able to slay some giants with Rondale Moore when they didn't really have other guys. Um, you know, he, he just allowed them to play way out. It was, it was almost like a Lamar Jackson thing with Louisville where like he would elevate them, you know, like LaVisca Chenault with, with Colorado in, in some ways. Um, and so, uh, again, I, you know, I, I like him a lot, but again, you know, like, um, he, he didn't have that many catchers beyond 10 yards downfield. Uh, there was the, the gadgety thing. You're just looking to get the ball onto his hands however you can, because that's, that's where he's dangerous is in space. Um, so, you know, his NFL team is, they're going to have the same prerogative, get the ball to Rondale um, however we can. And as many times as we can while keeping him healthy. And that was a balance that, that Jeff Brom ultimately failed to, uh, you know, get to, cause you know, it, it, it Brom at, at Purdue that he, 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 I mean, it was like, he, he phone, you know, going back to your term Mana from heaven, like, and, and he overused them, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like Colorado did with, with Chenault and, um, you know, they both sort of broke. Um, and so like, you know, his NFL team, you know, it's, the usage is going to have to be more smart and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, more pragmatic as well. Yeah. I, I didn't, uh, make the the reference to him being like a smaller version of Barkley, but I do know he squats like 600 pounds and that I have seen a lot of safeties make the mistake of, of thinking they were like escorting Rondale Moore out of bounds by the sideline only to wind up on their ass when he decided to charge up field and, and just truck him over. So yeah, he is a fun player, man. I mean, he is just like a lot of Steve Smith and that guy. So I can't wait to see where he ends up. Um, all right, last player I want to ask you about, Thor. Kyle Pitts. Uh, I mean, first of all, do you, like what should fantasy gamers think of him? Like is is he eventually a guy who you think might be like kind of 
classified as a wide receiver in the NFL? Is he going to, is he going to be a tight end, the sort of move tight end, or is he going to be, I don't know, is, is he going to eventually be more like a Chase Claypool wide receiver? Yeah. I, you know, just as far as position designation, I, I would assume they'll keep him at tight end, but you know, Pat, like it's, you know, it's sort of like with Demetri uh, Felton, you know, in, 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 you know, the other case where, uh, you know, Felton's probably going to be in the backfield as many times as he's in the slot. So it's like, what do you, you know, list him at? Um, you know, whereas with, with Pitts, he's probably going to be in the slot perhaps more than he's in line at the next level. So it's like, well, you know, do you call him a receiver? And, you know, that's what his utility is more. Do you call him a, a tight end? He's going to be in, in, in line sometimes at least. Um, cause you know, why, why not? Right. Like, you know, he, he, he certainly has the length for it. Um, and he does try a, as a blocker. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not full Evan Ingram. Um, you know, he's, he's not, uh, you know, the, the best blocker in the world, uh, but again, you know, length and movement and effort. Um, and so he can, he can, he can seal some, some guys off. Um, so, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, as far as that, you know, people say the thing of like, oh, you know, he's my wide receiver one or wide receiver two. And, um, I mean, however you want to do it's, you know, again, it's the same thing as Felton. I ranked Felton in my running backs today, even though I think he's, his skill set plays better as a slot receiver. And I merely did so for, for reader ease because I, I see other people ranking Felton as, as a running back more. So I didn't want to confuse people when it came out by ranking him at a different position. Um, but you know, in reality, um, players like this are going to be, you know, they're, they're going to bounce between uh, those two spots. And, and, and for fantasy purposes, I would assume he'll always keep his tight end eligibility, which is going to be really, really fun because this is the best receiving tight end uh, that's coming to the NFL. I mean, just in terms of prospects, um, you have to go back a really, 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 really long time. Certainly the best that I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, one of my uh, Twitter buddies, I, I think it was Michael Salfino, said that uh, he's going to make Travis Kelsey look like Jack Doyle. And that might be a bit of an overstatement, but uh, <laughs> it does say something about the excitement level for Pitts coming in and, and you know, electrifying a, a position that is often woefully short on playmakers to the fantasy gamer. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, and I think you, you make a great that the, the joke makes a makes a great point in and of itself, Pat. Because you know, I think like sometimes when you know in the draft process, when you, you know talk about a guy like Evan Ingram or, or you know um, Darren Waller was a different you know coming from the other side, but like some of these guys, you know, when we're saying like, oh, are they a receiver? Are they a tight end? It's because they um, you know they they can't do one of the things, and you're trying to you know like whatever. Um, but with Pitts, it's he's. I mean, he's, he's, you know, just in terms of receiver, like he's going to be, you know, an all pro uh, level, you know, whether it's at tight end or receiver, and he can certainly handle receiver because he certainly has the athleticism for it or, um, you know, at, at, at tight end, you know, again, he, he can handle in line. So it, it's a different conversation than, you know, with like a guy like, uh, you know, Ingram, when you're talking about, you know, do you want to pretend about putting him in line a couple of snaps or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it's uh, the classification thing is going to be interesting. I, I, I'm guessing like he stays considered a tight end at least for the first year, but um, yeah, man, just very excited to see where he's going to land and who's going to, you know, like I've even seen him mock to the Giants, which would be kind of funny. Uh, Thor, you've already gone over time with me. I have one last thing for you, and and your answer to this could simply be I don't know. 
and that would be a, a valid answer, I think, to this question. I mean, it's obviously just such a strange setup for the draft this year. No combine, shortened seasons for some college teams, some players who opted out of the, the season entirely, like Jamar Chase. What sort of consequences do you envision as a result of all this as it relates to the draft? Like a less a less predictable draft than usual, um, a, a big advantage for the stronger front offices, more trades during the draft, less trades. Have you gained all this out in your head yet? Um, the so last year, you know, we 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 speculated a lot about this, and it it actually manifested in less trades, you know, um, you know, just the way that that went down, whether it's because, um, you know, just of the circumstances or the people not being in the same rooms, you know, with each other to discuss them or whatever. Um, this year, I think, um, you know, there might be more trades again. Maybe there's, there's more people in the same buildings and something goes back more back to normal in terms of that. But like, I, I I think one way uh, it's going to be different is I do think it's going to be more unpredictable in terms of, uh, the way that the board is slotted. And the reason I think that is because the most important uh, data point for any prospect coming into the NFL is his last year of tape or his last year performance or however you want to uh, put that. Um, this class is more compromised in that uh, department than any class in the history of the NFL draft. And it's not particularly close. You have guys that have zero games played their last season. You have guys that have one game played, guys that that have three games played, you know, et cetera. Um, there's, there's, uh, you know, a, a small handful that have double digit games played um, and that's it. Um, and so you're going to have to do, you know, there's a series of these guys, uh, you know, Trey Lance was one that we discussed earlier. Uh, Jamie Newman is, is sort of the FBS version of this, um, you know, talking about quarterbacks where um, you have to go back to the 2019 tape and you might have to extrapolate what they could have been in 2020. What did the last developmental time do? Is it, can we, can we pick up for that is, you know, like Jamie Newman came into the senior bowl. Um, Jamie Newman's a quarterback prospect that I really like. Um, and I thought when he went to, uh, when, you know, when he grad transferred to Georgia first, I thought that was a brilliant idea. Um, you know, and I thought he was going to be good. You know, I, th I thought like, you know, this is a guy who can lock himself into the second round and maybe even, you know, make a run at the first, you know, cause like he's, you know, he's an athletic kid, very well built and he's really good at throwing downfield. Like his, his downfield numbers, um, you know, were south of only uh, Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, in terms of like uh, quarterbacks in the ACC the year before and his big time throws, I think he was top three in the nation uh, in, in 2019. Um, so anyways, I, I was super excited about him, but yeah, like, you know, him opting out, um, didn't get to see him there. And so like you have these guys that have, um, you know, they're like these raw prospects that have incomplete profiles and you didn't see them. You haven't seen them for a year besides, plus you have the rust. And in Newman's case, he goes to the, the senior bowl in Mobile and he struggles. And it's like, you know, I mean, with all these different things, you're talking about a thing of perception, right? Because it's like, I'm predisposed to like Jamie Newman because I think he's a good player. So it's like, you know, I think he has ability. So it's like, you know, I, I would be predisposed to think, well, yeah, of course he struggled. I mean, he's, he's, he's been away from football for a year. These other guys just, you know, finish their, their bowl games with their teammates, stuff like that. Like his timing is going to be off, of course, you know, whereas someone else would be like, you know, this guy's a one-year wonder in a wonky non-NFL kind of offense, fluky offense, and he hasn't played for over a year. And, and then he went to the senior bowl and he sucked. Why would why would anyone even consider drafting this guy over a guy who played well in 2020 and, and played decent at the senior bowl? 
Um, so like, you know, some of it's just, just, you know, rote perception, things like that. Um, and there's more, uh, my point is, is that there's more of that's going to come into play because there's, there's way more unknown because, uh, you know, the, the, the last year, uh, tape, you know, and, and, and stuff like that, it's, it's, you know, the more of it is incomplete. Um, so you have to fill in the gaps in your mind. You know, that's where the projection comes in. Um, we always have to project, um, but typically, you don't have to do as much, you know, this year there will be more painting, you know, between those lines of where they're at currently. And then, you know, what, what you suppose the projection will be. Yeah. There are just so many irregularities to the whole run up process to the draft this year. And, uh, just it, a unique set of circumstances for sure. But Thor, you are in uh, draft season form already. You always come on this fire or on this show, just spit fire. Uh, you're the best, my friend. Keep up the great work on the positional previews for NBC Sports Edge. And thanks again for coming on, my friend. Love talking to you, man. I always do. I always love chopping it up with you. Um, hopefully we can do it again later in the draft process. The producer of the show is Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to my friend and colleague, Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. Thank you to the legendary Milwaukee Ska Band International Jet Sets for the music. And thank you, my friends, for dialing up the show and giving it a listen. Hopefully you'll be back with me again next week when I will be joined by another outstanding guest. See you then. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you?